But before we do that, let's pray and ask God to speak to us. Uh, God, you are good, and we are grateful that we can be in your presence. We're grateful for our church, um, not only the community that we have here, but the fact of knowing that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Um, that your people, your family, your community, the kingdom of God is throughout the world, letting people know about who you are, sharing the love that you have for us, God. And I thank you for the way that we can experience that and share that in this place. You know the things that we're processing, dealing with, going through. I pray, God, that you would give us a, just a deep awareness of your presence, your wisdom, your care for us. I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. I pray that you would challenge us just thinking about who you are and that you want us to be like you. I pray that you would teach us and fashion us and mold us more into your image this morning through what you say through your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we are about at the halfway mark of a series that we're going through this summer in the Ten Commandments. Um, even though we're not following the exact order, we did cover the first four so far. We're kind of jumping into the second half of them. Again, not in the exact order. Um, I recently watched a comedy special of Jim Gaffigan's, and he was talking about spending time in hotels. And at one point he said, the Ten Commandments were based on what's already happened in your hotel room. That's why there's a Bible in there for reference. Um, and it's, it's like, oh, that happened there? Yes. And so now he's talking about all of the Ten Commandments when he says that. And that's actually a really funny one if you're interested. Um, but it's an interesting thing to think about within the specific command that we're going to be looking at today. The Eighth Command, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. What do we normally think when we hear the idea of stealing? Well, our minds might go to Ocean's Eleven or some other big heist movie or something like that. And even though this happens in movies, this obviously is also something that happens in real life. In fact, the Antwerp Diamond Heist happened in February of 2003, and it is called the Heist of the Century, one of the largest robberies in history. Thieves stole loose diamonds, gold, silver, and other types of jewelry valued at more than $100 million dollars. And when you read about this heist, it actually does sound like something that happened in a movie. Or we might think of big white-collar crimes. In 2009, Alan Stanford stole about $7 billion. And, oh, it was found out that he had embezzled about $7 billion. And Bernie Madoff, about $65 billion, both in Ponzi schemes. There's also Kenneth Lay of the Enron scandal and Bernard Ebers of WorldCom major white-collar crimes that have happened in the last 10 or 20 years. Um, I mean, we've never done horrible stuff like that, though. I mean, no one in here, I'm assuming, has gone in that route. We haven't broke the Eighth Commandment, right? That's big things. But what about smaller stuff? You know, theft is actually the most common crime in the U.S. It is the most common crime. Some reports state that one out of 11 people in the U.S. are shoplifters. And before you blame them, only a fourth of those are kids. The majority of them are adults. One out of 11 people are shoplifters. Now, don't start looking around and make it awkward and trying to figure out who. We have more than 11 people in here, but we'll just, it's an average. Um, there were 2.8 million reports of fraud in 2020 alone. 
And imposter scams were the most common type of fraud. How many of you in just the last week have had a phone call asking you about your warranty? Anybody have that? Um, so even some of you know what I'm talking about. Some things are just um, pandemic proof. Um, in one study of 2020 alone, uh, surveying 2,000 people, 43% of them had a package stolen. No one did any of that stuff, right? None of us did any of that in here. We're still in the clear as far as this commandment, right? Well, is this all that the command covers? Or does it go deeper than this? Yes, it includes this, but is there more? The image that comes along with this phrase, don't steal, is one of taking something by stealth, being secretive. No one knows. And really that... That does make sense. No one announces that they're going to steal something. No one posts that. I mean, if they do, they're the worst thief in the entire history of thievery. But but it's done in secrecy. And in some ways, that levels the playing field quite a bit in regard to what we mean by stealing. Stealing doesn't become a thing simply because we get caught. And stealing doesn't have a spectrum. It's not some little things are okay. It's just the big things that are bad. Martin Luther said that we break the Eighth Commandment when we take advantage of our neighbor in any sort of dealing that results in a loss to them. When we do anything to another person that results in a loss to them, we're breaking the Eighth Commandment. So that even goes beyond tangibles then. Do I steal people's time? Do I take advantage of their skills and what they offer? So what the umbrella of the eight command covers then becomes pretty broad. It includes when we say our kid is a younger age than they are to get a cheaper deal wherever we're at. It involves things taken from work that we don't tell anyone about. It involves dishonest reporting of business expenses. It involves having a coworker check out for you after you leave. Pens, parking spaces, spots in line, and obviously, let's go back to Jim Gaffigan's comment about what happens in hotels. Philip Riken quotes that one hotel reported in its first year of business having to replace 38,000 spoons, 18,000 tiles, 30, 355 coffee pots, and 100 Bibles. Who steals the Bible out of the hotel room? The thing that says don't steal. There's definitely needs some reading to happen there. Simply because we may not do it as much as somebody else. Simply because we might not get caught. Simply because it isn't as grand. Simply because we might feel we can justify it. None of this prevents or doesn't mean that we haven't broken the eighth commandment. We have to be honest about this one. Why is stealing such a big deal? Well, stealing shows no faith in God's provision. Stealing shows no faith in God's provision because we are meant to keep our lives in his hands. And to steal is to take things into our own hands. Jesus said to his followers, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
But we might get to a point where our anxiety overcomes that trust. Where we doubt whether God really knows what we need or not. And in turn, in a sense of desperation, we take things into our own hands. But in the Psalms, it tells us this, put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. We can't take things into our own hands. We can't trust what we can take, how we can make things work. We need to trust the provision of God. We can't justify wrongdoing simply because life is hard. We can't hold on to pride that keeps us from asking for help. Do not allow temptation or pride to be the combo which tempts you to compromise and break the eighth commandment. Trust in God, trust in others who can help, be humble, and don't say no to the blessing of the people of God walking with you through something that you're going through. We have to keep our lives in his hand. To steal shows no faith in God's provision. Stealing is also a big deal because stealing shows no honor for our neighbors. And we are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. People have a right to their property. To steal kind of assumes the fact that of private property. People have stuff or stealing wouldn't make sense if that wasn't a reality. So people have the product of their hard work. Owning things is not in and of itself bad. Having money is not in and of itself bad. Scholar Terrence Freeman says that theft, though, is an attack on the dignity of human beings and their work. It is an attack on who our neighbor is, our community, on who, on really anyone, whoever it's taken from. To dishonor them by being dishonest or deceptive is not, is not only dishonoring to them, but it isn't being holy as God is holy. In Deuteronomy, it says, do not have two different weights in your bag, one heavy and one light. Do not have two differing measures in your house, one large and one small. You must have accurate and honest weights and measures so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Giving you. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does these things, anyone who deals dishonestly. God wants us to treat people and honor people equally the same we have to treat people with honesty with honor not differently or deceptively and stealing in any way even in a minor way is the ultimate way of going against the command to love your neighbor as yourself so stealing shows no honor for our neighbor stealing is also a big deal because stealing shows a wrong view of our stuff and also ourselves within that. To steal shows a completely distorted view of how we see our things. We are called to be generous stewards. It's, like I said, it's okay to have stuff. It's okay to have money as long as we have the right perspective on it. And quite simply, to put it cut to the chase, your stuff is not your stuff any more than my stuff is my stuff. It's all God's. It says in Psalm 24, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. For he has founded upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. It's all God's. Every single bit of it is God's. 
Uh, scholar Philip Ryken says this, what the Bible means by ownership is not possessing things to use for our own purposes, but receiving things from God to use for his glory. So at the same time that we are forbidden to take things that don't belong to us, we are required to use what we have in ways that are pleasing to our God. To put it simply, the Eighth Commandment isn't just about stealing, it's also about stewardship. A steward is someone who cares for somebody else's property. He is not free to use it however he pleases, but only to manage it in accordance with his master's intention. And this is our situation exactly. Whatever we possess is God's property, and he has given us the sacred trust of looking after it. So every single thing we have, every single thing we own, every dollar in your possession is yours to manage in which God has entrusted you. It's his, and he has said, hold this, manage this, be holy within this as I am holy. And so we have to look at all of our stuff from that perspective. What does it mean to be holy as God is holy with what he has entrusted me with. And you hear that and you might say, what are you talking about? God didn't give me this. I worked hard for all this stuff. I've sweated, I trained, and I put all types of time in for, I earned all of this stuff. Well, Deuteronomy addresses that. It says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. God gave us the energy and the ability and the talents and the careers and the jobs to earn the stuff that's his that he put into our possession to steward and manage generously. And James in the New Testament cuts to the chase on this in a powerful convicting way. Think about your stuff, think about what you have, think about your finances, think about your job, all of it, where you're at in life, as James speaks this to us. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming to you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the days of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent ones who, have not who was not opposing you. You hear this passage and there are some serious questions that we need to ask of ourselves. Am I putting all of my energy into obtaining things in the present or into building up the eternal kingdom of God? Am I putting all of my energy into obtaining stuff, getting stuff, having the latest, having the greatest, having this now? Or do I do what I do to expand the kingdom of God? That people would know Jesus, that people would experience Jesus, that people would be able to flourish under the reign of King Jesus, am I doing what I do to make that happen or just get more stuff? 
Am I hoarding wealth or am I joining God by coming alongside people who are spreading the good news or by helping those in need? Am I just keeping it all away, having a big nest egg, having all of this stuff, basically putting it away? Again, there's nothing wrong with savings. But am I hoarding every single thing that I have and not coming alongside what God is doing in the world? Am I missing out on the opportunities to help people who are spreading the gospel in different ways that we might not be able to? Or even those in our midst who have real, genuine needs? Am I treating those under me with unfair wages, causing agony and hardship in their life, simply so I can have or hoard more stuff? Again, this doesn't obviously apply to all of us, but when we have responsibility to be over people, how do we treat those people? And how do we treat them in light of who we are? The, to, to be a supervisor, to be a boss, to be an owner, to be a CEO, whatever that position is, we have to make sure that we're treating those under us fairly and not stealing what needs to be there so that we can have more. Again, it isn't that anything bad with earning a wage and earning stuff from a business or whatever that might be. But are people in agony because we just want more? And last, am I living with the goal of luxury and self-indulgence or with the goal of enough and generosity? What am I, how is my outlook on life? How do I see what I'm making, what I'm earning, and what I have? Do I think about being part of what God is doing as a checkbox? Oh, I went to Sunday a couple times this month. Or is my life defined by people need to know and experience Jesus? Because if your life as a disciple is the way a disciple is supposed to be, that people would know and experience Jesus, then that's going to dictate how you use your stuff. That's going to dictate how you use what you have. And to withhold from joining God is to steal from what he is doing. We break the Eighth Commandment when we do that. We have to be honest about the ways in which we are breaking the Eighth Commandment, about the ways we are selfish and hoarding rather than being holy and generous. That's one thing to think about, that how do we do it, though? What are some things that we can do to not break this, but to live the call of being generous stewards? Well, first off, one thing we can do is to live contently within your means. Live contently with your means. This is not a new concept, but one we might not necessarily associate with the Eighth Command. But the truth is, creating debt also creates a potentially desperate situation. Be thankful for what you have. Don't compare yourselves to others, because doing that creates a false sense of entitlement. I should be able to have what they have. I should be able to do the, do the things that they're doing. Maybe that's not the case. And so don't create a, false sense, of a sense, false sense of entitlement because that can lead to unwise spending, which leads to debt, which can lead yourself to a temptation to compromise who you are. Trust him with what you need and be content with what you have. Proverbs 30 says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? 
And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Be content with what you have. This is one of the evils. There's a lot of good about it. But this is one of the evil byproducts of social media. People present themselves in a false way so that we all look good, happy, successful, and everything. We don't see the behind the scenes. Yeah, the family's smiling in the picture, but I guarantee they might have been arguing before it was taken. We present a great, great picture up front. But the reality is, is we don't see everything behind it. But we see the good, we see what people have, we see what people are doing, and we say, oh, I want that. And we get envious of what people have, what people are doing, and the reality is we probably wouldn't want everything that they're experiencing and doing, but we need to be content with what we have. And so I, for some of us, that might be a good reason to dial back on social media engagement. If you find yourself sitting there scrolling and start feeling bad because you're not able to do something or have something, stop scrolling. Step away from that. Look at what you have, look at what you do, look at what God has placed you in, and look at the, figure out the ways to be grateful for that. Be content with what God has given us. See the blessings within those things. We have to live contently within our means. That is the definition of keeping our lives in his hands. The second thing that we can do is look for ways to spread joy instead of creating conflict or carrying guilt. Look for ways to spread joy instead of creating conflict or carrying guilt. When I was just out of college, um, I, went, I went to Moody for undergrad and I moved up into the uptown neighborhood. Actually, I moved like five minutes from where I currently live, so it's kind of weird to go back there. But at the time, I was living in an apartment right behind the uptown theater, if you know where that's at. And I remember coming out really early one morning. I don't know what I was doing, but I remember it was really early in the morning, like, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock. Is it just out of cut? No, it was probably earlier than that. It was really early. But I came out and my um, door was not locked. And I know I had locked it, but my door was not locked. And my stereo was stolen. Whole thing ripped out of the console. I was so angry. I started, like, rage scream in the middle of the street just ah, you stupid jerk like I was screaming in the middle of the street I was so mad that somebody took my radio and of course the car worked car was fine driving I think if I was like driving to work or driving to Indiana or whatever the whole way just fuming because I couldn't listen to anything just fuming that somebody had gotten in and stole my stuff I was so angry when I was younger my grandparents who live in northwest Indiana, there was one time that they, their house got broken into. And so they came home and the door, the frame was broken and, you know, freaking out. My grandpa called the cops and they kind of went in and checked everything and they had stole some of my grandma's jewelry. They stole a bunch of other stuff. Um, and that caused a great sense of fear for them. Of, of being violated. Somebody's in my home. The sense of, is it okay to come back home? In both situations, stealing created either anger or fear. That's what, that's what stealing does. It creates anger and it creates fear. Those are the realities. It damages community. It damages relationships. It damages people. There's the shame of doing wrong. And so there's, that's what it does to the people that are, uh, are receiving it. But on the person that's doing it, to steal something, it creates shame, it creates guilt, 
It creates anxiety. You have to carry that. The idea of I've taken something, I've, I mean, little kid in a store takes a candy bar, I'm not going to ask for hands in here who all did that because I know it'll be a forest. We've, many people have done that. You've had that moment. Or maybe you're in school and you look over on somebody's and you get caught. The sense of shame, the sense of guilt, the sense of even shame and guilt carrying that, not getting caught, it doesn't do our souls good. Breaking the eighth command hurts others and it hurts our hearts. And so within that reality, the opposite is to be generous. To be a generous steward does the opposite. To be a generous steward strengthens community. To be a generous steward brings joy to your heart. Have you ever helped somebody, like somebody had a real need and you came alongside them? The look on their face the, the joy that's beaming out of them, you want to do that again. You want to experience that again. That's what Proverbs 11 is talking about, is one gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. When you look for ways to give, to come alongside people, to help people in need, to be generous, you strengthen people. You strengthen community. And it gives a joy not only to others, but to yourself. So look for ways to spread joy, not to break community or carry guilt. And the last question is this of what we can do. How can we not break the Eighth Commandment, but be generous stewards? What do you, ask yourself this, what do you have too much of? What do you have too much of? Crowds came to John the Baptist in the New Testament asking him what a repentant life looks like. And he said this. The crowds asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teachers, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. He's kind of going through all these different people groups and it sounds like he's giving a little workshop on not breaking the Eighth Commandment, right? But the one thing that he says that I love is one of the first things is that if you have two shirts, give one away. If you have food, share it. Now, please, no one be ridiculous and start yelling, socialist! That's not what's happening here. But the reality is, I think there's something to this. What do you have too much of? What do you have more than you need in your home? And so here's my challenge of, when you think about what you could scale back on, to, what, what, to, to having enough, not extra, and then to use the extra to help people, here's what I want to challenge you with. To go home today, sometime this week, and get a box. Get some boxes. And then go through your apartment, condo, home, wherever you're at, walk through and be honest. I'm not saying this brings me joy. We're not doing that. And this isn't just let me get rid of all my old nasty stuff. It's, what do I have too much of? What do I, did I, do I have too, do I have 
10 shirts in my closet, but I really only need six? Do I have three of this, but I really only need one? Do you have two bikes? Do you have extra when really enough would be this? And then scale that back. Maybe somebody that you know needs one of the extra things. Maybe there's people that you can, we can find out how they need that. Maybe you can sell the extra and give it to some of our missionaries, to one of our organizations in the city that comes along and helps people. You can get, do something with that. How much in our country do people have excess of? Cars that aren't needed, homes that aren't needed, clothes and toys that aren't needed. Again, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. But as Christians, there's something wrong with having too much stuff when there are needs in the world around us. There's something wrong of having a huge abundance of things when we have people that we know that have legitimate needs and are struggling to figure them out. We can't just write people off... There are people that are having real needs in the world and the needs they have are because they're in difficult, hard times and not because they're lazy and haven't done the work. I remember being a youth pastor and bringing my students into the city and uh, we, you know, for some of them, this isn't something that they did a whole lot and we were walking, walking somewhere down probably by the loop and a homeless person was there and asked some of our students for money. And one guy said, I'm not, looked at me, I'm not giving him anything, I'm just going to go buy drugs with it. And I said, who told you that? And how do you know that about that person? Did God say to you, only give to those in need when you know what they're going to do with what you give them? Because that's not what, how we're supposed to be. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying just take everything you have and this here, money, take it. But we need to stop making excuses on how not to help people and start figuring out strategically how to be generous stewards. Because if the most of our time is figured out in how to make excuses not to come alongside people and not to spread the gospel, then we are not being faithful to the gospel. We are not emulating the character and heart of God. We, everything you have is from him and some of the stuff you have you're holding on to because somebody else needs it or somebody else can use it or the the profit of it and god gave it to you to steward until it got to a point where you could come alongside them stop missing out on what god is doing and wants to do and join him in that does that make sense and so there is something exciting about that there is uh, some people in our church had a real genuine need, and it was a big need. It was a big, big need, financial need. And somebody out of the blue, same day, said, hey, I got a bonus from work, and I want to come alongside somebody and give this to somebody um, in the church. Do you know anybody? It's like, oh, well, yeah, absolutely. Actually, I do. I was just the middleman, like sending emails and like processing this, talking with the people who had the need and talking with the people who wanted to give. And I felt like I was a joy broker because the excitement that was happening on both sides, it was like, what? I want in on this. Like, what's going on? There was such exuberance because there was something that, that no way that this could have been met. And this person just wanted to help somebody. 
And to bring these two together, it was an explosion of joy. That's what we should be about. That should become addicting to you. That should become addicting to us. Not that we can check it off, oh, look what I helped with, but thank you, God, for letting me be part of what you're doing. Thank you, God, for letting me show people grace and mercy to be part of how you provide for others, to show people the reality of grace that we receive things that we don't deserve sometimes, that we, so people will extend love to us regardless of who we are, what we've done, or anything else. To come alongside what God is doing as generous stewards is the epitome of the gospel because we were in such need we were in such debt, and Jesus came and paid the debts that we couldn't pay. He gave us everything that we need that we could not find in any other place. And for us to avoid doing that, for us to make excuses to not do that, is to insult the very gospel that we identify with. What would, what would go in your box this week? And how can you use it to join God in what he's doing? Let's not be breakers of the Eighth Commandment. Let's do the opposite and be generous stewards of what God has entrusted to us. We're going to end today by receiving communion. And like I said, the reality of this is to be part of the spreading and the showing of the gospel. That it's God has given us what we desperately need and long for. He has paid debts that we could not on our own. We think about the reality of the needs that we have, the, re the situations that we might find ourselves in. Colossians says, and the stuff that we have, Colossians says, whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And whatever we do and say includes how we handle our finances. It involves how we manage our resources. It manages how we interact with those who are in need in the situations we find ourselves in. Hebrews 13 says, don't love money, be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Communion reminds us of the reality of Christ's love for us, that it's Christ that we are to be loving, that it's he is our identity, that it's in him that we find our worth. And when you find your worth in Jesus, when you find your identity in Jesus, then that dictates how you see your stuff. That gives you freedom on how you see your stuff. You're not chained to the shackles of getting more and needing more and obtaining more, but you're free to use those things to bless others, to be part of what God is doing. We need to be reminded of the love of Christ for us, which is obviously what communion does. And so we're going to take a moment just to be quiet here. We always take a moment of just quiet reflection to pray before the Lord. Allow him to speak to our hearts. Maybe you need to ask, okay, God, what, what at home needs to go into a box? Again, not to store it, but to do something with it. What do I need to, how do I get to a baseline of, okay, I have enough? What do, how do I find my identity and security in you so that I can look at my stuff differently? God, I need to trust you with what I need and not live in desperation. Maybe you need to, talk to God about those things in this moment. Maybe you just need to be quiet before him and allow him to speak to your heart. But let's do that for a moment and then we'll receive communion together. So God, I pray that you would speak to us. 
that you would bring back your word to our minds and hearts, that you would let us hear exactly what you know we need to hear. So speak to us now. Would you stand with me? We're going to receive communion. The bread symbolizes his body broken for us, the sacrifice on the cross that we, his sins, uh, he would pay for our sins with his body, his blood shed for us that we can have the forgiveness of sins. He died a death that we deserved in our place. He conquered sin and conquered death, raising from the dead, ushering in a new life into humanity that we can be a part of. Not something that we earn, but something we receive as a gift from him. Communion reminds us of that. God, we thank you so much for your provision. We thank you so much for your care. We thank you, God, for your love. We thank you for paying the debt that we owed. God, I pray that you would burden us with the needs around us. God, I pray that you would... teach us empathy. I pray that, God, you would teach us to care. God, I pray that you would help us to see those around us, the needs in our world differently, that we would be honest about how we can be a part of it. God, I pray that you would give us a sense of trust in your provision. Forgive us for the times when we become desperate or selfish. We break this command. God, help us to be holy as you are holy. We're so grateful for your grace and we're so grateful for your mercy. We remember everything that you've done and we thank you for your love. Let's receive communion together. grateful for your broken body and your shed blood, the cross and the empty tomb. Thank you, God, for who you are. In your name, amen. If you're here with us in the sanctuary, just hold on to those uh, cups and there's a garbage in the back. So we think about how God has um, saved us and given us new life, this new identity that we have in him. We want to be people that honor him. We want to be people that share his love. So in this last song is really a call to commitment, a call of saying, God, we want to come alongside you. Make us people who 